offering information for your mind, enabling transformation for your heart. A weekly dialogue exploring God's Word and its application for today's world. Sabbath School U. Hi, and welcome to Sabbath School University. Today we have three great people with me. We have Tiffany, we have Rich, and we have Ashley. You know, all great people. And so let's go ahead and get started. This lesson is about the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a really awesome lesson, really packed with a lot of information. So to start off, I'm going to ask Ashley to go ahead and read the scripture and pray for us. Okay. So um, today's scripture is Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It's, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here with Sab School University. Please bless us as we study your word and let us learn something new today. In your name, amen. Amen. All right, amen. So, you know, when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, you know, it's, it's the first time that we read about Jesus really, really getting into you know, preaching the word to people. And I mean, it is packed. I mean, it's from chapter five to chapter seven. So there's a lot of information in there. And so what I really want to know from everyone is kind of what sticks out for you. And, you know, uh, I'll start with myself and then everyone else can kind of chime in. But for me, I think it's the Beatitudes. Okay. Uh, that sticks out the most to me. So what about you? For me, it's uh, definitely Matthew chapter six, uh, towards the end where Jesus says, uh, don't worry. I, I confess every now and then I, I succumb to that temptation to worry. And so for him to present this very practical thing, don't worry, it's like, yo, really? What are we talking about? So that would be it for me. Okay. And for me, it would be Matthew 5, um, around verse 21 and on where um, my Bible says murder begins in the heart. So basically it says you shall not murder and whoever murders uh, will be in danger of the judgment. He starts it off by saying, you've heard it said of old. And I like this part because um, sometimes you think of the Ten Commandments, you think of them as just a set commandment. But Jesus elaborates and goes deeper and says murder is not just killing someone, but it's the condition of your heart as well. And so that stands out to me just um, because it helps me to know that um, I can be breaking the Ten Commandments sure. as well. <laughs> sure. and, and for me, my favorite is the beginning of Chapter 6 when it talks about doing good things without necessarily getting a reward for it. Okay. Because for me, the whole Sermon on the Mount, it comes through as these are the things that the citizens of the kingdom of heaven should be doing. And in Philippians um, 3.20, it talks about for our citizenship is in heaven. Um, and that makes me think that, yeah, the, the heavenly citizenship and what's, what is expected of us to act yeah. That that's part of the whole thing is what comes through to me. Yeah, and I think it's awesome because it's like the whole Sermon of the Mount. He's he, Jesus is talking about you know as you said the Ten Commandments in, in many ways, but he's also giving kind of real life like this is this is how you should be. You know, don't just look at the Ten Commandments as as a rigid. These are the laws. Only have to keep these things that are written as laws. But it's a heart condition, mm -hmm. and so you know. But on the opposite side, there are people who, who may look at the Sermon on the Mount and say, oh, well, it's, he, he, it's to overwrite the Ten Commandments. So what would you say to that? Well, I don't think it's to overwrite the Ten Commandments. I've always looked at it as um, 
a, com a, co a compliment to the Ten Commandments that kind of refocuses things. I think over the years that have passed since the Ten Commandments were given, so much had happened. It's kind of like the lens had become very blurry, and they were trying to piece together the areas where they couldn't see. And inevitably, what happened was a lot of traditions emerged, a lot of customs um, were the result, and Jesus came to kind of refocus the lens. So not to do away with or to overshadow, but I think to just mm -hmm. refocus it again. It's kind of like an outdated prescription. It's time for a, a, a updated prescription, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, to see clearly again. That's what I look at the Sermon on the Mount as. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's awesome. The perfect analogy to me is, you know, that prescription thing. Go ahead. Oh, go for ahead. me, it seems that the Ten Commandments are the way that it's just, it's stated and set out this, 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 and this. Whereas then the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus going, but here's the thinking behind this th that leads to these actions, that when you are keeping these commandments, it looks like this in this situation. It's more the, the, the practical, uh, the practical application of these concepts that are set down in the Ten Commandments. Yeah. So you can't do away with the basis when you're working on the application. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, when you look at that that whole dynamic, and you mentioned years, so many years have passed with just tradition and, and people just looking at laws and things, and they had forgotten how to really apply them in their lives. And I think about today and today's society, how we forget how to apply, you know, we look at the laws and everyone's to go, well, I've got the right according to what the law says, right. but we forget about how to practically apply it. Right. I mean, Jesus, you know, and throughout this, you know, t teaching about the salt and the light, teaching about, you know, righteousness. And it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's, you know, well, I know what, what, what I said, you know, what I had, what I wrote on the tablets with my own finger, sure. but you guys forgot about what it really means, sure. you know, not just, you know, words on, words on stone, but this is what it means when I write that in your heart. Right. And I think mm -hmm. it's awesome. I mean, and if I could maybe just provide something that's helped me understand the law and the spirit of the law and whenever laws are to be applied, what is really the goal. I remember when I was first learning to drive, I was really excited and I knew about the speed limit, right? Um, but I just understood it in its maximum way, you know, that you shouldn't go beyond this. Well, in reading the book in preparation for the test, I also learned that there was a minimum speed limit. In other words, you couldn't just go one mile on a highway and think, oh, I'm not going 65. In fact, I saved 64 miles I'm, by going one mile. You can get a ticket for that too. Mm -hmm. Because the idea is not to cause traffic obstruction or not to delay the flow and also not to be um, an unsafe driver. So going beyond, yeah, that's unsafe, but going one mile as well, that's also not good. And so I think that in some ways, Jesus was again, bringing it down and putting it back into focus to say, you guys have just made it this whole murder thing taking it out of context, all right? Let me tell you something, it's not just about taking life physically, and he expounds on it, refocusing it, and he does mm -hmm. it for various other things. You guys are getting divorces for any little thing, you know? You didn't like the rice that she cooked, and so now you're wanting a certificate of divorce. You've totally missed it, let's refocus. And so that has helped me to, um, as you said, I agree wholeheartedly, he's refocusing and he's putting it back into perspective. Well, and I think he's also pointing out that sometimes, like, your traffic analogy was just kind of like, wow, I've never heard it like that before. <laughs> but then I thought, well, sometimes there's places in the world where traffic has different patterns yep. and you have to adjust to that. Or mm -hmm. say, when I was living in the state of Michigan, there was this terrible snowstorm and people were still trying to go 65 miles an hour when it was not safe. <laughs> right. And it was like, 
there was low visibility, there was snowing, and then there's this huge pileup because people were going too fast sure. and they couldn't see because they were like, well, I can go the speed limit. Right. And when the idea is, well, yeah, maybe you should go. Yes. So, yeah. and so this is the same kind of thing that yeah. sometimes the situation is different. The context yeah. changes. It's not just, you right. know, physically killing somebody, but it's thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I also think it's, you know, when you mentioned going that people were trying to go too fast, I, you look at what was happening in the Jewish community at that time, the Pharisees and, and the scribes, and they thought they had everything because it was just automatic to them. Right. So you just, it's almost like dry, going to work in the morning. You know, you get up, get in the car, you drive, you know, speed limit might say 55, you're doing 65, 70 because you're trying to get there, and it's just automatic. It's everyday thing. And so Jesus brought them back and said, hey, well, these are the things you've been doing, and, sure. you, and you've been doing them so long, you don't even think they're wrong. Yeah. And I think that's the key there, is that as Christians, we sometimes think we're doing the right thing because we're doing it according to what we have read the Bible to say sure. and what we think is right, but it's wrong. And Jesus has to sometimes come down and say, look, it's not right. Look, right. Th this is how you really need to look at it, and this is how you really need to focus it. Um, because, you know, as Matthew 5, verse 13 says, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have, have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Mm. It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Under foot of men. So as Christians, we have to know that, okay, it's more than just following the rules. It's, right. We have to do other things that encompass love with it, practicality, so that when someone else who's not a Christian, who doesn't believe, sees our actions and sees what we're doing, right. it doesn't come off as callous like, oh, we're just, we're just rigid. We're in between these lines and that's all we can see. Right. But we have kind of a, a wide perspective. We're able to, to, to treat others the way Christ did. Yeah, and I think um, something that comes out too, we have to remember that Christ, for me, was trying to restore his image again. I think it was... Um, very beat up by the scribes and Pharisees and mm. the people who were keeping the law at that time. And he came to restore, this is what I am about. I'm about love. And this is how, um, you know, you are saved and this is how you ought to live as a result of being saved. And so I think um, that's why I took the time to preach such a long sermon. So I look at him like, this is a whole three chapters. Sure. Um, but it's a lot of application and it goes back to restoring his image that to me was shattered just by keeping the Ten Commandments. It was beyond that. And he, I mean, I keep going back to the matter of the heart, but that's where he really wanted to hit uh, with the people because that, that's what was going to save them. Because we find um, also in, um, in chapter 7, verses, verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many wow. will say to me in, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and um, done many wonders in your name? And yeah. then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And to them, they were keeping the law because they were keeping the letter of the law, but right. their hearts were not co uh, convicted or, or changed. So... You know, it's interesting, Tiffany, that you mentioned that because, uh, well, let me ask this question. Has anyone ever experienced a time where uh, you thought that you did something well and then someone comes and tells you that you can do it a little better? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I have. And there's that little feeling kind of in the top left section of your stomach <laughs> that says, I thought I did this pretty well. And then you're coming to tell me that there's room for improvement. Not that we you know, deny, but sometimes people coming and saying that before they affirm that you already do it well can kind of be like defense walls go way up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in a way, 
they might have had that experience because he almost kind of sets them up. In Matthew chapter 5, um, verses 17 through 19, Matthew 5, 17 through 19, he says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy but to fulfill. Verse 18, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will, be, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches, them, teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I think on that last part, you know, chests were filled with hot air, you know, heads blew up because they were like, oh, he's talking about us. Whoever keeps it and does it, that's us. Yeah. But what was to follow, they <laughs> didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, he totally starts, you know, tearing things yeah. down and say, hey, you thought that you were doing the best that you could do. And you thought that you were righteous because of what you were doing. Uh, I'm going to let you know that in many areas, you, you need improvement. So I look at these kind of as, you know, like you said, Tiffany, just, hey, just because you say, Lord, Lord, does not mean that you know how to cook. And, you know, <laughs> it's like just because I wash my hands well doesn't mean I'm fit to do surgery. Mm -hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? So, Yeah, and I, and I think... Um, it was more of a, you know, having to, to break down those walls wow. because, you know, we, we get them after a while because we were used to doing something. It's, it's, uh, I'm reminded by a, a former pastor of mine and he said that, you know, people would come to him after, you know, after service and say, oh, it was a great sermon. It was a great sermon. And he would constantly tell himself, I did, I did horrible. I did bad because wow. he did not want to get an ego yeah. that would come with mm -hmm. everyone kind of pumping everything into you because you think about this, the scribes and Pharisees at that time, people would come to them because they were so, they, everyone thought they were righteous. Sure. They did the acts. And, and I think this also introduces a different concept to them that they didn't understand. They believed in basically they would be saved because they kept the law, they, right. the works that they did. But right. Christ is here kind of going, no, it's not just about keeping the law. It's not just about what you do. Right. It's about faith. I think that's a totally new concept that they didn't even know about or they didn't even understand until Jesus came to preach the Sermon on the Mount. Sure. But, okay, so we're just talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, but what about us? Like, we do, we're guilty of it mm. too. Come on, like, um, How many times do you, does somebody go and li li listen to a sermon? And then they're like, good job, pastor. And then they go home and keep doing everything they were doing. Like, I know I've, I've done that a couple times. I'm, I'm guilty. Um, but but how, many, how many times do we do that? And how do we stop doing that? Right. How do we apply this sermon? Right. Like, how do we feel it? And how do we move on from being Pharisees and scribes? Sure. You know, I think it's such a hard thing to do. I mean, I, I'm with you there. I've, I've heard some sermons, and, I've, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, God, I know you're talking to me. Yeah. All right, I hear you, but I leave and I kind of push it to the side. Like, all right, well, I got through service. Right now, let's go back to real life. But I think it's it's about the relationship you have with him, asking him constantly to help you in those areas where you know you know you're weak, you know that you need to get better on. Sure. You know, it's you know I think sometimes the mark of a great leader or someone who who is successful is recognizing that they're weak in an area right. and seeking out help. 
Right. Mm -hmm. You know, someone who has an illness, they know there's a problem and they go to the doctor because they want to get help. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, someone who wants to be the best athlete knows that they, you know, for instance, you love basketball. Yeah. Um, and so, and I, and I, for instance, I love football. If I wanted to be the best football player I wanted to be, I'd go to, I'd go to football camp. Sure. I'd mm -hmm. go to others who are professionals or who are well-versed in that area right. to get help. And so the same thing with us as Christians is when we have something we can't, you know, we just by ourselves, we can't do anything. It takes Christ to, to make change. Yeah. And so we've got to go to him and say, hey, look, I can't do it. I he's, need you. He's the, he's the professional at being human and following God. Yes. <laughs> I think Jesus provides kind of an answer for how do we apply this to our lives in the sermon. Matthew chapter 7 beginning at verse 24, he's kind of wrapping up his sermon, and he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. And then we know in verses 26 and 27, he contrasts that with the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And I think he's kind of providing an end note to all that he has said previously. The only way this house is going to be built and stand is if you have the right foundation, which is me. Um, outside of that, it might look nice. It might on the outside, but when the winds and the testing comes, you know, there's no substance. So I, I agree with Ashley wholeheartedly. Um, we can't do this outside of the merits of Christ. Mm -hmm. So, so totally true. And, uh, in this lesson, I mean, it, it's like he bookends it. You know, he talks about, you know, where to, where to build your foundation. It's like, almost like he starts off Beatitudes and he goes, cool. all right, this is how you should, how you ought to be. This is how you ought to live, how you right. ought to apply the principles. And now, after you've gotten all that, this is where you need to stand. Right. It's, it's, it's almost like he's leading you down that path as you're going through, as you're going through the sermon right. to get to him. And... Um, I, I just, it makes me wonder, you know, just how, if, I, if you were there, how would you comprehend that? Like, how, how do you get all of that? Oh, man, I've, I've often thought about who might have been in that crowd, you know, and who might have responded to certain things that he says. You know, when this guy is in the crowd, I'll, you know, if I'm in the crowd and I, my wife has had 13 kids, I don't know. And, and he says the only grounds for divorce is marital unfaithfulness and, you know, and not because your wife looks different after bearing 13 kids. I might be like, now, Jesus, you messed up my plans here. <laughs> you know, so putting real people in the, on the mountainside listening to him, or a young man, when he says, listen, you've already committed adultery if you lust after someone in his heart. It's like, whoa, you know. So I think that we can resonate with those who are there by looking at our own practical lives and saying, man, he's stepping on my toes. You know, well, and and that kind of situation is something that is like a specific, like the marriage. Sure. But for me, it's like it's uh, chapter five, starting in verse thirty-eight, mm -hmm. where it's talking about eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Wow! And he's just like, <laughs> he's like, don't resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn your left cheek toward them. Right. And it's like, um, <laughs> wait, what? You right. want me to take? <laughs> You want me to take more abuse, basically, wow. from these people who mistreat me? And they're like, if, if you, anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let them have your cloak, too. Right. Like, just give them stuff. If someone makes you go a mile, go with them for a second mile. It's just like, 
And I, I guess that goes to loving people, sure. loving people who who mistreat you, and that's really hard to do. It's easy to love people who love you back. It's not easy to love people who don't love you. Yeah. And and for me, that's like, well, that goes, you have to ask who's my neighbor instead yeah. of asking who's my enemy. Because most of the time, I think our human default is who is my enemy. And that's yeah. not the Christian way to live. We have to ask who's my neighbor. Something I would ask is who's my model? And um, from there, uh, five, Matthew 5, verse 48, um, after you talk about eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth and loving, it says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And I'm thankful for that verse because as we alluded to before, we can't do it without dependence, utter dependence on Christ. And so as hard as those things may seem, because we have Christ as our model, it's made possible yeah. because he, in essence, is doing it through us. So Love without expectation of it being reciprocated. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And then, you know, after he talks about that, you know, one thing that, that stuck out to me is he talks about in the beginning of chapter 7 about judging and hypocrisy. Sure. You know, and it's where my... my one, you know, one of my favorite verses about uh, verse seven, verse four, actually. Oh, how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thy own, uh, thine own eye. Yes. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam in thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Mm -hmm. And it's like, man, I have something wrong with me. Yeah. You know, he's going through all of this and he's talking to the people and he's talking to us mm -hmm. and he's giving us all these things and you go through and you look at, you know, oh, fasting, okay, well, I, I'm, I fast, I do this. Oh, I deal with my anger, okay. You know, I do all these things, but then he goes, well, wait. Right. <laughs> do you, something that everyone does. Do I go talk, to, you know, do I go to someone else and I say, oh, you're wrong about this. How do I treat other people? Well, first I need to know how, you know, how wrong I may be, what, what may be wrong with me, yeah. so I can deal with my situation. And he's trying to let us all know that he needs to deal with us first. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once he can deal with us, then he can help us to deal with others. Mm -hmm. right. I think that's, that's such a strong thing. And then he, right after that, he goes right into the prayer. And it's like, all right, so let's, we, we dealt with judging and hypocrisy. And it's sure. like the order of things, you know, if you just look at it, just kind of pick and pull things out, it seems like it's just kind of a random order. Right. But I mean, do you feel like there's a, a purpose or, or a, a reason why he's, you know, taking these topics on in the order that he's doing? I do. I think that there are certain passages that have to do with us as an individual. And then there are passages that link us with the wider community. And I think that one of the things that might be communicated is, you know, your Christian experience is not going to be in isolation. Your prayer mm -hmm. life, fasting, serving, those mm -hmm. things, sure, uh, might just involve me and you. But please believe that there is a necessary outgrowth of your Christianity that involves other people. And so it's kind of like ingredients for kingdom living, unto yourself, unto God, and other, unto humanity. Um, so you're right. It seems spotty. It seems all over the place. But I think he's just presenting the big picture that as a representative of my kingdom, these principles should show in your life in private and in your life in public. Well. Going back to the where the salt and the light, I just thought of the fact that with salt, first you flavor, like you can flavor, just put some on, on a bowl, sure. like your own portion. But then sometimes you put it into the whole pot. Yep. And then sometimes you put too much in it right. and then it's no good. Um, and I think... I think on, on that level, that's what he's saying, mm. going from the individual, my own little portion, me, and transformed, and then you go and it ripples out. Like you put the salt into the community. 
and then the world. Like, it just, it grows. Once you made that point, I mean, I, I saw it immediately after you said, oh, it starts the individual, and then it gets bigger, and then he ends with, well, the kingdom. Yeah. And it's just, it's mind-blowing to me because it's like, all this time I've read through the Sermon on the Mount, I know, you know, different things from it, but I never looked at it in that perspective mm-hmm. that he's dealing with me, then he's dealing with how, you know, the relationship with others, and then right. he's dealing with the overall, this is, this is everything else. This is, this is the kingdom. And, right. and remembering that we're all members of the body of Christ. And so if we're all doing what he's instructing us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, how much more powerful could we be as Christians? How, could, how much more powerful could we be as, as a local church or as a, a world church sure. if we all took the things to heart that he said? I mean, sure. I mean what, what wouldn't we be able to accomplish with God? You know, you think about that. What would it look like if we treated everybody as if we're citizens of kingdom? Sure. Uh, Ellen White in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 133 says, um, the development of a uniform courtesy, treating others as you would want to be treated, would annihilate, that's the word she uses, half the ills of life. So I think that that hints at a little of what it would look like. Um, a lot of the ills, social, communal, church, a lot of things that represent tensions in our society, um, developing that uniform courtesy by the grace of Christ, I think we would see just totally annihilated half of the ills of life. And I think this is what's presented in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, definitely. Well, I would, you know, like to kind of get from everyone, you know, what you know, we, we talked about kind of the individual things that stuck out to you, but from an entire picture of the Sermon on the Mount, what, if you could sum it up all together, what would you say, it, you know, the Sermon on the Mount really looks like? Mm. Well, for me, I think this presents a, a beautiful picture of radical Christianity. Mm. Um, and it's the will of God. And I think that living in his will at the end of the day is better then, and, and even if men question you, then to live unto yourself and then be questioned by God. So choose the Lord always. For me, I think it's the fact that everything in the sermon touches every part of my life. It's not just one day a week I do the Christian thing. It's every day of the week and it touches everything. There's no separation between the secular and the sacred. The kingdom of heaven is everywhere. Like I'm a citizen. I live here. This is my life. It's not just something I do. And, and I think that's shown in the, uh, the model prayer. It's like all the parts of my life, the physical, the social, the mental, the emotional, all of it. Awesome. And I think, um, the sermon amount for me makes the sermon, makes me accountable. Um, it's not enough to just read the Bible and not apply it to my life or apply it to how I treat others. And so it gives me that accountability of remembering, Tiffany, it's not all about you. Um, it's about others as well and how I treat them and that I can either be a hindrance or um, something positive towards someone else's uh, salvation. And I definitely agree. You know, it's not all about us. It's about, at the end, it's about Christ. And it's about what Christ wants for us. And he wants the best for us. He wants us to meet him in the kingdom. And one way we can do that is through just looking at what he, what he's offered us, you know, not just the law, 
but the spirit of the law, the love that he's given us, the love that he wants us to have for others. And so with that, you know, I'd like to thank you all for joining us with Sabbath School U. Um, if you'd like to listen to more episodes or uh, get more information, you can go to www.sabbathschoolu.org. That is www.sabbathschool, the letter U, dot O-R-G. Thank you and God bless. Mm -hmm.